at every opportunity, I'm very eager to share my story and try to share it in such a way that somebody can, else can take something from it. Um, I've been very fortunate to give various opportunities to speak, and I, I've developed this message for myself, or my own mantra, which is the greatest good. Like, how can I do the greatest good for other people? How many lives can I touch? Is that through um, my work as a physical therapist, or is that through public speaking or motivational athletics? Because I, I have so many people who come up to me and see elements of themselves in me, because I wear my, my scars so visibly. Um, and so many of us carry our, our, our scars invisibly, right? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I try to share people and help them understand that they are capable of more than they know. You know finding that out is often uncomfortable, whether it's individual time trial or not getting your homework in on time or having some stress at work, but um, we're all capable of more than we know. That is Meg Fisher, and this is the Adventure Audio Podcast. My name is Peter Hockenhall, and along with my co-host, Tyler Hamilton, this week we had the honor of speaking with Meg Fisher. Meg has a very inspiring story, and we hope that you enjoy it. Really, it's a story about overcoming a great personal tragedy and moving on to greater things in life that you didn't necessarily know that you were destined for to begin with. Uh, Meg is a multiple Paralympic champion, a uh, highly decorated athlete for the United States. And uh, it's a really, uh, this is a podcast we're very proud of and we're honored to have Meg on and we would love to have her back soon. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. You were born in Calgary, Alberta. So are you a dual citizen? I am. Okay, awesome. And how, how often do you make it back to Canada? Oh, a bit less in my adulthood, um, but... I try to get back at least once a year, sometimes twice. I still have family in Edmonton, in um, Sylvan Lake, uh, Rocky Mountain House. Yeah, and my dad lives in British Columbia. He lives on the island, so I try to get back to see him as well. Oh, amazing. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, those are all great spots. Rocky is underrated. It's a it's a cute little town, hey? Oh, it's changed Im immensely. But yeah, it's it was right on. I mean, you're real close. You can look into Banff and uh, yeah it, yeah you're right on the foothills oh yeah 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 big 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 fan so at what age did you move to the U.S. oh uh, yeah I, I was three when I moved to the states I really can't call Canada home really um so my parents split like a lot of families do um they gave it a go and even gave it a go later in life they um are really neat people but um my mom is born and raised in Chicago, and that's where her family was, and it was a, a great place for me to go to school, as well as get uh, you know, experience with sports and competitiveness. Um, Rocky is great. It's fantastic. Uh, but it's a little cow town. Uh, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember when we got a stoplight. I remember when we got a McDonald's. Like <laughs> all these kind of a 7-Eleven, those were all big things. Um, totally. And so... Uh, I think I really had the best of both worlds growing up and that I really had a great education. Um, my mom played tennis her whole life. So I was exposed to tennis, which ended up giving me an avenue into other opportunities later in life. And then I would spend holidays and um, my summers in Canada. Um, so yeah, I, I rode horses and chased cows and had dogs and the neighbors had pigs and we'd go horse packing up in the hills. Uh, I, I think I really... Um, led a pretty idyllic childhood. That's a pretty cool way to grow up. Yeah. I, I probably didn't think so when I was in it. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got teased every time I, I came home with my Canadian accent. And um, I uh, always missed my family up north. But um, I, I think I had a really neat way to grow up when I look back. That's super cool. And what brought you to Missoula? Kind of my Canadian roots to a bit. Um, I yeah was in Chicago and I knew Chicago wasn't quite my my home fit. I, it was a great place to be. Um, if you've been to Chicago, it's an amazing city. It and is. I was in the suburbs, so it, it, in a really nice suburb as well. Like great people, great community, good schools. Um, but I knew I just uh, I couldn't <clears throat> stay in the Midwest. 
Um, and when I looked at schools, I looked at um, majors, um, proximity to Canada, and if I could play tennis. And um, Missoula really fit that for me. Um, it's straight nap south of Alberta, and it's due west of Chicago. I-90, I could kind of 90 and, and finish in downtown Chicago, really. Yeah. Um, I can head north on 93, and then um, boom, I'm in Canada. So um, it was pretty fantastic. Well, and Tyler's done that drive, too. He's come up to uh, to Rock. And what is it? It's like an eight-hour drive. It's not a big deal, Oh, right? yeah. No, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful drive. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, uh, I was, we were both headed up north. I don't know, Tyler, what you were doing, um, what ride you were doing, but I was headed up there to, to Rocky, um, and we That's... stopped for coffee in BC, and I, um, I looked, I was sitting outside the coffee shop trying to get Wi-Fi, as you do, and um, who do I see walking down the sidewalk but Tyler, and I was like, what? doing here Man, that's okay. right that's right i think i was driving up to do a um a charity event cycling event in red deer i believe yeah oh that's yeah. right you're headed to red deer yeah. yes I mean, good golly when i was a kid was we'd go to red deer for haircuts i mean that was the big city <laughs> that was the big city back that's then hey, if you're from that's rocky great. oh yeah um, i was just stoked i mean yeah how many people know where red deer alberta is hey oh yeah it's great town great yeah town. it's it's neat yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's right. We bumped into each other where? In Fernie, right? Yeah, Fernie. Yep. Right Fernie. on. Super cool. What are the chances of that? Cool. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Holy. Totally. How many years so, ago was that? Three, two, two? I think two years ago, two summers ago. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, Maggie, you played tennis in college, right? I did. I did. Wow. Yeah. That's a weird sport, you know, the little ball, big court lines, a net, and use a stick. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, it's I think a really neat way to join. Um, you know, physicality, endurance, quick reaction, as well as the game of chess, um, understanding your opponent, the weather, the conditions. The um, yeah, I mean, like any yep. sport, it, it it has a lot of variables that are pretty fun to play with. Yeah, yeah. Do you uh, do you still play once in a while, or do you still follow the sport? I don't, uh, I don't play as much as I used to. I, I mean, I, I, it surprises me that I don't because I, it is kind of, I think I will always have some uh, tennis ball fuzz in my bloodstream. It's just so brain to me. But um, I, I try to play, especially in the winter time. I think tennis is a lifelong sport. And it, um, now I'm professionally, I'm a physical therapist. I see some of the benefits that um, are inherent in tennis, which is lateral sideways movement twisting bending um yeah rotational movements that uh, i barely get in my day-to-day -day and certainly um in my number one sport now which is cycling you know we, we definitely lack that in cycling absolutely definitely and tyler and i talked about it on the podcast too i think that it's um as much as we both love that sport it, it that's all you do you're you're definitely setting yourself up for some physical troubles as you get a little older and less flexible, oh, I think. Oh, and you, you probably see that in your practice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about how you got into cycling because you've had a pretty pro prolific career in the sport. It's a, it's a bit of a story how I got into cycling. Um, I mean, like all of us, I got my first bike when I was probably six years old. I remember learning to ride and it's, I guess not all that different from that, but um when I was 19, I was driving from Chicago to Missoula to sign a lease on my first apartment with my best friend. We both taught tennis in a suburb of Chicago, and we had a break in between our tennis sessions. We were going to quick pop out to Montana, sign a lease, drop off some of our stuff, go back, finish our teaching season, and then um, return to Montana and continue on with um, our educations. I, I was thrilled. I was 19. You know, nothing really hurts when you're 19 and the world is open to you, every possibility. Um, I was incredibly excited. Um, in June 30th, 2002, Sarah and I were partway through on our drive to Missoula uh, in the middle of South Dakota on I-90. And our car rolled eight and a half times in the middle of the road. Uh, it was catastrophic. 
somehow it was a single car accident. It was just us. I, I don't even know how, partly because I don't remember what they say is that we, they, meaning an observer, said that maybe we hit the rumble strip, maybe drifted just a bit, and then Sarah, as the driver, maybe overcorrected a bit, and then that started our car to tumble. And um, it just, the energy and the destruction was huge. Um, and additionally, the, the loss of life. I'm, uh, it was, Sarah died that day um, due to her injuries. Um, the initial people who, who did stop to try to take care of us thought we both were dead. A brave soul went in and pulled us out and other people called the ambulances and life flight was on the way very quickly. Um, but I, somehow, somehow I survived. Um, my pilot who was a Vietnam pilot, his name was Dave, he used to come up and sit with me in the hospital room when he wasn't out flying missions or trips and he said that I, I he didn't think I was going to make it um, my pupils were fixed and dilated I relied on somebody else to breathe for me uh, I had evidence of a, I had a closed head injury and it also ripped off my left foot I don't know how somehow in the accident it got caught and um, badly mangled so that started about a month-long process in the hospital where I needed to spend time in a coma Eventually woke up from that, underwent reconstructive surgery to try to save as much of my leg as they could. That meant that they took muscle from my stomach and skin from my thigh to try to cover where my foot had been. From there, um, I was stable enough to be discharged. And then they flew me in a fixed wing life flight back to Chicago where my mom lived because I wasn't well enough to drive home or take a commercial flight home. I, I, needed, I needed a lot of support still. Back in Chicago, I continued with therapy, had a little more surgery, started the process of getting fit with a prosthesis. Even when I was in the hospital, one of the first thoughts I remember when I opened my eyes and looked down and saw that my feet didn't match I quickly went to tennis, you know, the weird things where your mind goes. And I just thought, you know, how am I going to play again? Wow. Yeah. When I was back in Chicago, uh, somebody, my mom's friend, somebody I'd played tennis, tennis with well as well. She was retired and had some time on her hands, and she took me under her wing. She would come to my house, bring her office chair with wheels and a hopper of balls. We'd go up to the local tennis court. It was just a block from my house. And I would sit in an office chair and scoot around the court. And she would give me lessons. And she would make sure, she would tell me that when you can stand again, when you can walk, your volley is going to be solid. And we would talk about the mechanics of forehands and backhands. And she kept, she really inspired me. All my friends had gone back to college and continued on with their lives and mine hit a pause button for a while. I was really banged up. I, if anybody's had a traumatic brain injury, a concussion or something like that, you, you know how <laughs> discombobulating it can be. And like that, these injuries went so far beyond just your leg injury. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, yes, you see that I use now a prosthesis. And yes, you can see some of the evidences of old, like, scars and wounds and stuff like that but uh i have long hair and you can't see the brain surgery scars you can't see the dents in my skull um and yeah traumatic brain injuries and the invisible scars are often some of the harder ones so yeah um i spent about 11 months after my initial injury again i, I played tennis on an office there i even taught i got a job teaching tennis before I could even stand and eventually I could stand and I could walk and then I could kind of sort of kind of run it wasn't very pretty and it certainly hurt um, and then I went back to college I missed one semester of school and then I came back to college and I tried to resume my life and it just was really stinking hard really painful actually they had suggested they being doctors had suggested that I might have less pain 
and more functionality if I decided to go for a higher level amputation. So 11 months after my first injury, they amputated more of my leg. And that's pretty crazy to walk into a hospital and walk out with less than you started with. Yeah, I didn't know that part of the story. That is nuts to think about. It's still strange to me, I suppose, but it's just just my story, I guess, now. And it did. Did it work? I'd say it did. I, I, I sometimes wish I'd tried other solutions before then, but it, I can't spend time thinking about those things because it's just, it is what it is, right? I can't think, you know, what if the accident didn't happen? What if Sarah were still here? Or what if it had been me? And I, I wish it had been me. I wish she had lived and I died, you know? But it just, there, there's not a lot of use in spending time with those. I'm here now. Um, uh, I'd always watched. Well, actually, when I was in the hospital in 2002, I was laying in my hospital bed and the great pacifier of life, I guess, is television. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't sit up. I couldn't wheel myself anywhere. I, I couldn't. I could watch TV. And um, that's when I really got into the Tour de France. I, I couldn't watch a lot of other programs because they were too you know, emotional for me for some reason. Um, but I could watch bike racing and thankfully that was on every day and for hours and analysis of the race and so on and so forth and all those things. Um, so I was laying in my hospital bed and I learned about um, Tyler Hamilton, um, which is really surreal to me that this is like my life now that I actually get to talk to him um, because I, I watched Tyler, your, your solo breakaway and um we hear about how hard that was for you and, um, you know, the ramifications from that, that you, you still live with. Um, but I remember you know, like riding with a broken collarbone and I just was so inspired by you. Um, and Aww. then uh, my friend gave me the book. Um, it's not about the bike, which turns out it is all about the bike, but anyway, um, so I, I, yeah. I, uh, I just had other people, you know, showing people who had overcome adversity and like the bike kept getting put in front of me as, as a tool. Um, I'd also watched the Ironman triathlon cause that's, I thought triathlon was amazing. Uh, Missoula used to be a really big hub for top level us Ironman triathletes. Ben Hoffman went to college with me. Um, we're on the same track. Lindsey Corbin, Adam Jensen, Matt Shryock, some other pro triathletes, Ben, or, um, oh, sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, Brendan Halpin, excuse me, um, all were really strong triathletes from Missoula. And I thought, I just wanted to be like my friends. I saw these people that were really neat, I really admired. And I thought, you know, with two legs, I never thought I was capable to do a triathlon. And I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a go now that I have one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, what's stopping me now? Like, why didn't I try it then? So 11 months after I lost my leg the second time, I did my first sprint distance triathlon here in Missoula. What was that like? Amazing. Uh, Incredibly (laughs) empowering. I mean, I had to borrow someone's bike. Um, I had to learn to swim straight because it turns out if you only have one flipper, you'll keep hitting the line. Um, and I mean, I never swam It's 20 yards <laughs> or sorry. It's uh, a thousand yards in a, in a 20 yard lap pool. So it's like not very long laps and it's not a very long swim, but I can tell you it's longer than I never swam. I never intentionally ridden uh 20 K before. Um, and I, in my this new chapter, I never run five K. Um, so it was just all these things that I didn't think I could do with two legs. And I certainly didn't know if I could do with one leg. And my goal was to not be last. Instead of being last, I was seventh from last. But yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't remember that part. I just know. And not that being last is good or bad or anything. It just, I don't know, it was something that an obstacle or challenge I'd set for myself. I just didn't. You had to go in last. the goal. Yeah, I just didn't want to be last. Meg, was that the Grizzly Triathlon? There was, darn tootin'. Was that it? Oh, no way. Awesome. Yeah, the largest indoor triathlon in North America. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. The, the whole first... thing's indoors? 
Oh no, well it has an indoor swim. Yeah. Oh okay, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Indoor swim, Which, outdoor bike and Which is how I did my first triathlon too, was with an indoor swim because swimming yeah. in a lake scared me. Oh sure. <laughs> so I, oh. I had to work my way up to that. Yeah, sea monster. Uh, uh, Meg, first and foremost, like thanks for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super powerful. You're you're an inspiration. Um and then so this 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 was the the this was really um once you did this triathlon, triathlon, you were kind of bitten by the bug. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, surely. Um, it was like it just knocked down all these barriers that I had inadvertently placed for myself. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't think I could do it with two legs. Sure. And all of a sudden, like I just so I just kept doing them and doing them and doing them. And I didn't mean I didn't do a ton, but I kept up with triathlon. Uh, yeah. However, we're, we're- World champion. Oh, but that's the thing. Like, 2009, 2010, 2013. Yeah, but between that's... that and <laughs> first, my first race and that one, I was told I'd never walk again. Um, who who so, told you that? Yeah, a doctor. <laughs> a prosthetist yeah. actually told me I'd never walk again. So I was graduating from college. So that would have been 2006. And um, I was having trouble walking. I mean, I'd done all these triathlons. I'd really practiced and... Self, uh, I thought, and then all of a sudden I was having trouble walking, and nobody could figure out why. And then I just I couldn't walk. I spent six months on crutches. Um, I did a triathlon. I was, I was this swimmer. I was part of a team. I just I swam because I couldn't bike. I couldn't run. I, it was at, in my early twenties being told I'd never walk again. Um, but I found a prosthetist. I ended up flying back to Chicago to see John Angelico. And he came in on the weekend and made me a leg so that I could walk across the stage at my college graduation. And then I regained the ability to walk and I got back to triathlon. But also during that time, I was paired with a service dog. Her name, um, her name was Betsy. And Betsy was a little cow dog and had a lot of energy. And once I regained the ability to walk, I wanted to and help her expend her energy in ways other than chewing on my feet or, um, you know, getting into trouble. And I saw people mountain biking with their dogs around Montana and Missoula. And that's how I got into um, Xterra off-road triathlon. Because I, I got invited to do 24-hour races with a team and then doing 24-hour mountain bike races on my own. And then I got the eye of um, Team USA paracycling coach. And I also started doing road triathlon and Xterra triathlon and I got really heavy into racing and so I blame all those good things on my dog <laughs> so uh, she you know was at first much more fit than me <laughs> but uh, so I used to chase her on the trail and eventually I got fast enough that she had to chase me but um that's awesome at what point <laughs> along this journey did it become a reality that you could go to the Olympics. Golly. Like when, when did that sink in? Oh yeah. So I had no idea that I sounds strange, like that I qualified for the Paralympics because I didn't know what it took to be in the Paralympics. Cause I didn't even know what the Paralympics really were. I'd heard of the Olympics. I'd maybe heard of Paralympics and I'd heard of special Olympics and didn't know a lot of the differences between the three. And, um, so I, I, I didn't know. I actually didn't think I was injured enough to be in the Paralympics. So I did um, Xterra off-road triathlon and became the first female challenged athlete to ever do an Xterra triathlon. Wow. And they told me, like, stick with that. I mean, I had no idea. I just wanted to go play with my friends. And so I ran around this, I swam, open water swim, uh, mountain bike, trail run. That's what Xterra includes. And so... Um, yeah, I just stuck with that. And I thought, well, that's cool. I mean, I guess I'm a challenged athlete. Well, that's a neat thing. Um, and I, and I wasn't ever last. I, I would beat people in the swim. I'd beat people on the mountain bike and I could actually run faster than most, not most, excuse me. I could run faster than a very few people. Most of the time I swim well, bike well, and then everyone and their mother would pass me on the run, but that's okay. Um, yeah, this, I mean, it's not about winning. It's not about beating people, but it's, you know, you know, pushing yourself. So Xterra was awesome. Went to the world champ. But trail trail running offers such a unique challenge to road running. 
when you've got two functioning legs, right? So like that must, you must have to completely relearn how to run to, to trail run. Right. I would call my trail run like an old man shuffle. Um, It's yeah, not having an ankle and being able to adapt to uneven terrain and uh, downhill descending a mountain or a hill is incredibly challenging for me. Um, My, what's left of my leg is about three and a half inches. So it's just, I have very, like the physics of it is that I don't have much control of my ankle or what would be my ankle. So I get thrown around a lot. For that reason, I don't choose to do a lot of trail running. It's just not, I know a lot of people find a great peace and solace on the trail. And I certainly love mountain biking for that reason, but running is just so cognitively and physically demanding for me that it's yeah really hard but you've done you've done some epic stuff i heard you did the one year you for sure double dip there in missoula i i I did i was definitely that is serious (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so can you guys can you you guys tell me what that is no you take it i've never done it okay yeah um heard about it so if you're familiar with Missoula at all, often there's this iconic mountain with a big M on it. Yeah. Um, it's right at the base or right at the, you know, of campus on one side of campus. And you run from the heart of campus to the base of the mountain. And then you run up the front side. And what you can't see is like from town is that there is an, a secondary peak just beyond it. So then you run to the top of Mount Sentinel or the saddle. And then you run up to the top of University Peak. Um, where the beacons are and then come down the smoke jumper trail which is because we have uh, wildland firefighters or smoke jumpers here in missoula so it gets called the smoke jumper trail and um i can't remember how long it is but that that race was incredibly humbling i was the first one to the base of the mountain i ran there quick because i knew it would take me a while to get up but i ran up running up is not the problem it's the down and then all of a sudden i got to the top and it was awesome um but going down was horrible. It was so painful. I was actually looking for places where I could maybe, if I had to, sleep <laughs> or rest um, because it started to rain and get cold. Uh, the sweepers of the course actually caught me and walked me in because I was I was a hurting unit. And I couldn't walk for a few days afterwards. Actually. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I've done it. I had the t-shirt. I gave the t-shirt away and I don't have to do it again, but I encourage anyone to do it if they so choose. But, um, it was, it was a big one. It was a big day. My buddy uh, there in Missoula, Phil Gardner was, uh, on, was on university peak, the second peak there. He was, uh, I think helping with the feed zone there. Actually, I'm looking at the picture right now of Phil and I, he was dressed in a fat bastard costume, handing out like hot dogs, that's, and gummy bears. That, that's right. That's right. And he said, you came up and over and he said it was so inspiring. And yeah, I remember him sharing that story with me many, many years ago. Yeah. Phil's a great guy. He's good for our community. Oh man. He's awesome. I love him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and so tell us how the transition from triathlon. So into, into road racing, then you became pretty much just a road racer or a roadie. Yeah. Um, and you sure. did track, track as well, I guess. Right. Uh huh. Um, kind of reluctantly, but I got into it. Um, <laughs> so I learned that para triathlon would not be included in the London 2012 games, and no. so which meant that like for all the para triathlon events, I either had to find sponsorships and mostly pay my own way. And racing is a privilege. It's yeah, not something we do ever to whatever strike it rich or whatever you want to call it you don't do it for anything other than passion um that said i also wanted competition you know that's i think competitors like to feel like they're pushing themselves and um have our people around them to raise their level their level to a higher bar and i found that there was more competition in paracycling because it is one of the first sports included in the uh, Paralympics. So I didn't really um, outline the difference between Olympics, Paralympics, and Special Olympics, but Olympics is something most people are familiar with. Able-bodied athletes, generally without any physical impairments, um, or, you know, ones that are imperceptible. 
Um, and then the Paralympics, para means alongside. So it follows the Olympics by two weeks in the same venues, the same uh, Olympic village then becomes the Paralympic village. It's roughly the same thing, but allows for athletes who have physical impairments to compete, whether they be congenital, meaning born with, or acquired. This could be visual impairments, um, paralysis, limb loss, limb deficiency, poor coordination. There's a, there's a, a number of conditions or impairments that qualify an, an athlete to become or you know audition really try out um challenge themselves to be to race in the paralympics it's certainly not an inclusive uh community i mean when i say inclusive i just mean or not inclusive i mean it's highly competitive uh, and cutthroat in many ways uh the special olympics i'm uh, generally is for individuals that have cognitive impairments and tend to be a bit more participatory and i don't I know it is highly competitive and athletes in the Special Olympics have to train diligently and routinely and hard to be successful. But um, I think most competitors receive at least some award or participation. Congratulations for their efforts. But that's my understanding. So um, anyway, how did I get into the Paralympics? I, I, I wanted to race against the best. I wanted to race fast people. And I... I found that biking was was awesome it's such a great tool um i love swimming sure i love biking and i love running but running is harder on my body it's more demanding i have half my ab muscles it's really like i have not very much of my leg it's just it's hard it's harder um biking was easy or um so I, i i clung on to that and was invited by the paracycling team to come down to some of their training camps at first, I really wasn't fast enough. I love to mountain bike too much, which is a different kind of biking. Um, yeah. And so that he's like, once you stop riding your mountain bike, come back and see me. And that was a huge ask. Um, but like, if you put a carrot out in front of me, I chase. And um, so I, I became more dedicated and um, eventually earned a, a qualifying time and through time trials that's how a lot of people are judged um how fast they are is how they do in time trials so i did well in some time trials and earned it earned the the opportunity to wear the stars and stripes awesome uh where where do they have some of these uh time trials qualifying time trials this the springs colorado colorado springs um national championships because yeah the paralympics are a bit tricky or in any Paralympic sport because you're you as a human you know a some an athlete trying to participate in the Paralympics you have to have your impairment evaluated you can't just go up and like I can't just show up there because at an event even though I use a prosthesis um and just like say like look you know it's much easier for people to see my physical impairment but for some athletes who have paralysis let's say, have a spinal cord injury, their level of spinal cord injury might dictate what classification they are. Or um, if somebody's missing a hand versus a foot or somebody, um, you know, there's levels of vision and so forth because they try to make the the playing fields as level as possible. I think of it like weight classes and wrestling you're not going to have like the 100 pound freshman wrestling the 200 pound senior like that's fair right yeah um right they try to make uh, classifications that are specific to each sport so that within that sport it's fair do you have any questions about that guy i explained that well no that was great that was was great totally yeah Yeah, so so london was your first paralympics yeah um i started yeah, racing for the para cycling team in 2009. Nice. Um, and I, I did well at the national championships, and the coach at the time um, saw potential in me, so he brought me with to World Cups. So I, I think I only went to a couple. I think I was in um, Europe, some, some in Europe and, and Canada, and then uh, came to the World Championships again, which was back in Canada. And I was a 
dark horse of sorts. Like I had some fine re- results, not great, but um, it was my first world championships. Was this the one in 2010? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. In Bay Camo. Yeah. Um, teeny tiny town in um, Quebec. It was a beautiful place. Uh, yeah, I went out there and I actually started my time trial late. Um, like if you've ever done a time trial, Tyler, you probably know as you know, it's level, but like, you, know, you, don't, you don't wear a watch. Um, you rely on your kind of handlers of sorts to kind of tell you what time it is and make sure you go through the starting gate and you get up to the starting house ramp on time. And I couldn't figure out why the, um, UCI, uh, I'm a Sarah was like, they're trying to sh- rush me through. I'm like, dude, dude, just like. Let me do my thing. And she's like, no, get on. You're late. Like, what? Um, so I started at 30 seconds late. And um, uh, my main competitor, there was some all around the world, but there was an Australian, um, really nice human. Her name is uh, Sue Powell. And I just was, I envisioned her like a great white shark chasing me. And so, um, I was, since I was ranking your points, like I was one of the first athletes to roll out. So I just imagined people behind me, like trying to chase me down or Sue as that shark trying to chase me. And that just drove me up this huge hill. We had to do two laps of this course. And there was this hill that just ripped your legs out. Um, and I had no idea how I, how I finished. Um, but I'm a pretty small human and I climb well and that, type of course suited my 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 body and I was able to win I was just out of nowhere I was so surprised like so how surprised were you totally surprised I had no idea um I was still relatively new to the bike racing scene and um I didn't know a lot of things um and I just knew that like I liked the feeling um, and I love the individual time trial because it is just that it's like you against the clock, like as French call it, it's just beautiful. And I, I love that challenge. I just like totally could bite into that. Um, I also won the road race that year, which was so surprising as well, because I, I again, was so new to bike racing. I, I hardly knew what I was doing. It just had that the course had that hill, had some features that were um, demanding enough that required some of that, ability to dig deep and be small enough to, you know, be able to climb past people. And that's, that's what I could do. Wow. That's impressive. And then it, then it continued, right? It did. Yeah. Um, I continued to have success. You can, pardon? You can brag. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I I actually, that year I also won, um, the, or, International Triathlon Union ITU World Championship as well. So there were a couple of years there where I won um, the UCI World Championships as well as ITU World Championships. Uh, just uh, time trialing um, is such a awesome skill to develop if you're a triathlete um, uh, because you know the, the portions of a race, you know, the swim and, and run are comparatively shorter, and if you have a good bike you can put so much time and distance between you and your competitors that it really um, suited me very well. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I, I raced for a while, um, kind of got drawn into paracycling, and I saw that that could be a possibility. The coach was like, you know, the games are coming up, and if you continue to do well, you could potentially earn a position on the uh, paracycling team for London. And I just was blown away that that was an option. Somewhere in there, I developed a hip injury. They thought I might need hip surgery. Thankfully, I didn't. I just had some really gnarly um, IT band, not IT band, excuse me, um, iliopsoas tendinopathy. And uh, because I, I, I bike differently, not having one leg requires you know, a lot of compensations, and I didn't have my bike set up in such a way that you know, limited my compensations because I didn't know that that was a possibility. Until uh, my, my friend, uh, Brian Williams, who uh, has a company, um, he's an expert at biomechanics. He looked at me, 
he looked at my prostheses and he said, we can make this better. He suggested I switch to a shorter crank arm on my left side. So I actually ride a mismatched crank set of a 165 on the left and a 170 on the right. He also changed my price prostheses around that I bike with. So the, the pylon is uh, longer on my affected side, my left side. So I can reach the bottom of the pedal stroke, but at the top, I'm not driven into too much knee flexion that would you know, cause my hips to rock a lot. So I have a relatively solid bike fit now, I think. And Brian's been doing my fits for years and I defer to him. Like he enables me to bike, I think, well. Um, anyway, I, I digress. I'm saying that hip injury kind of led me into looking at different career options. Because as we all know, bike racing doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't pay the mortgage. It doesn't, you end up eating a lot of, you, you get hungry, you eat a lot and you just, <laughs> it's it's expensive. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I applied for physical therapy school. Um, Good for you. I, but I recovered, but I know there's not really a but, but, but I rec- recovered from my hip injury, um, continued to race well, somehow got accepted into physical therapy school. Then all of a sudden, here I was, um, right leading up to the London Paralympic Games and a first year physical therapy student. That was daunting. That was, that was a challenge. Um, going to school full time, racing full time, and trying to race at the highest levels was, um, my days were full. Wow. The people wow. in my life were very patient with me and very kind. And where'd you go to peace, peace school? Was that amazing. University of Montana? No, I went to the University of Washington in Seattle. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What, what was that experience like? It was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I love the human body. I think movement is medicine. And sure. Uh, being able to help other people is incredibly fulfilling for me. It's a selfish yep. joy that I get to help other people or see their successes. Um, it, right, being in Seattle was amazing as well because you can ride all year round, which is something you can't do in Missoula. Sure. Um, and riding in the rain makes you tough, dude. Like it just makes you tough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And leading up to the London games, I feel like riding with people I did in Seattle, um, being challenged mentally in school and having the support of family. I I really couldn't have done any one of them well alone. I think being so strapped for time and being challenged in so many ways, I think drove me to being, you know, succeeding in school um, and earning position on the 2012 games team yeah. at the at the trials though I, I almost broke my arm i ended up getting taken out in the crit um the time trial i raced well the road race i did okay and then um the time trial was the deciding factor is who got you know who would be selected um and then the crit was just something that they threw in at the end and this one athlete who was less experienced with bike racing um, tried to take a corner on the inside and tried to exit on the inside, but physics doesn't let you do that. Yeah. Um, and so she ran me into the metal barriers um, and then I ended up having my arm in a cast for a while. So I was standing on the, you know, this is your London 2012 Paralympic team. And here I am just fresh from the hospital with a cast, with a cast on my arm. Um, Life of a bike racer. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, you know, you've got a few months um, from the qualifications to um, game day. Uh, so, yeah. But you've got to try and maintain your form. Truly, yep. And well injured, right? Mm-hmm. How'd the Paralympics go? It was awesome. There in London. It was incredible. Uh, yeah. My first games, uh, I don't know, Tyler, how did you find the games experience? Like, what do you think of that? Um, hey, this interview is about you. Oh, it's about me? Well, I just, <laughs> Yeah, it was awesome. I, I mean, it was a great experience. Obviously, you know, I had my own story there. Mm. But but for you, yeah, I wasn't at London. I was well retired into that at that point. I heard London was a great venue. Yeah. And for you, your first Paralympics, and I don't know, I'm looking down here at your at your um, list of accomplishments, and yeah, you did some pretty cool things there. Well, you want to you want to share? Yeah, I think anybody like when you go to the games. Um, 
I think people who have kind of the athletic bent to them, you watch the Olympics or Paralympics, I guess, nowadays. Um, and like, I always wanted to be the next like Bonnie Blair. Um, I, I wanted to be able to go to the Olympics as a tennis player. I thought, you know, that would be my sport. Um, and I really wanted to be there to represent my country. Like it's such a cool thing, the Olympics, right? It's on TV, it kind of takes over the world for a little bit. And to think that like I could actually still have that opportunity available to me even after being injured and being able to rep- represent my country because like I, I, you know, being injured has its own emotional roller coaster and you wonder like what you're capable of and how capable can you be. Um, and so being able to be on sports highest level was unreal. Um, the first race was the individual 3k pursuit and uh, I think we all as cyclists know the adage like was it don't walk if you can stand don't stand if you sit and don't sit if you can lay down you know all that silly so the first day they're like they want you to rest right your first day of the games they don't want you to go to the opening ceremonies and so like your games can kind of be shrunk a little bit compared to some other sports um so but some of us still snuck into the opening ceremonies and just did a lap around the um the track and I borrowed somebody's wheelchair and one of our swaniers pushed me so that I could actually go to the opening ceremonies get to feel that experience see the um, royal family up in their box um and then I hurried home went to bed because I had some bike racing to do the next day um that's good good job on that the 3k pursuit is just like a time trial just condensed 20k of discomfort into 3k um uh so it's all fairly similar i did i managed to do well again i ended up being stacked against sue powell in the finals she's just had more experience had more strength in her legs more power and she came in with the gold and i came away with the silver and i tell you what i was not disappointed um absolutely incredible experience and i thought i would wear that medal for the whole games i thought i'd wear that silver medal forever um i went to lunch wearing my medal proudly and it turns out that medal is like super heavy and my neck started to hurt and i was like son of a gun here i am strong enough to win a medal but i'm not strong enough to wear it um (laughs) that's great that's great and and it didn't end there right no yeah there in London yeah the the coach every night we would have a team meeting and he would even uh, he chose the strategy of saying like I expect this many medals from our team tomorrow he didn't name names he didn't name call people out but he kind of said like I expect for us to come away with this many medals and I remember the night before the time trial um he gave that prediction and my teammate as we were walking out of our meeting, I kind of elbowed me in the ribs and he goes, you know, that gold medal, he means you. And I was like, and I was like, what? Um, I was like, you know, I feel like somebody on the, in the Academy nominated for an award, like I'm just thankful to be here, you know, type of thing. Um, But yeah, I knew I had work ahead of me and the time trial is just, I, I really enjoy it. By that point I had a bit more standing in uh in points so i started later um in the race and again i, I was going to be racing at sue powell I, she had more rankings more points because the year before i'd been getting over that hip injury so i i didn't have as yeah i didn't know what was possible um i got in the start house and i just knew i had to to go and i had to go fast and memorize that course i dreamt about it i knew it inside out and even as we talk about it i'm riding it right now and um yeah, I knew where I needed to, what I needed to do, um, and I did it. However, you don't know what you've done after a time trial, right? Because like people have to finish. I caught some riders on course. I knew that I was riding strong. Um, my follow car gave me great feedback. Except, like, actually, some of the timers on course, um, they got lost in their time ring. So I ended up not getting feedback towards the end of the race. Like I didn't know how I was stacking up. It was kind of riding blind a bit. Um, but you know, that's what you do when you don't have all people stationed on a course to give you time splits and so forth. You just, you just ride. 
So it became a very pure event of just riding towards the end. And um, I, I, I crossed the finish line. I'd given it all I could. Um, my mom was in the, the stands. My partner at the time was in the stands. Uh, it was 10 years from the, my accident and I had Sarah on my mind. It was just so many things coming together. And eventually as the time stacked up, my name, my name was still at the top. I, I earned that gold medal. It was unreal, unreal. Such a um, culmination of efforts from so many people over those 10 years. From that woman who pulled me out of the car, the doctors, my prosthetists, my family, my teammates, my coaches, like it was really um, huge. Uh, I gave me goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Awesome. Say the same thing. That's, that's awesome. it. Awesome story, Meg. Wow. So are you retired from racing now? Define retired. <laughs> Real um, quick, you went on to win a couple more medals in the next Paralympics, 2016. You know? I yeah, I ended up winning some um, more time, like world championships um, yeah. in between there. And yeah. then went into earn a position to Rio, um, Unfortunately, like I kind of, I had a lot going on in Rio. I uh, was going through a divorce, um, and got the the crud as you do. You, yeah, and uh, was absolutely thrilled. I mean, I came away with a bronze medal in the individual three K pursuit. And if you watch that, like I was losing the race the whole time by up to th almost three seconds. And if you're in a three K pursuit and you're losing by three seconds, I mean, you yeah, are you're, you're way out. you're way out. Um, but I ended up winning by seven tenths of a second. Um, yeah nice that nice. was one of my most proud races um i i you know i was it's amazing what you can think in those races like you can't hear a whole lot in those aero helmets and you can hardly hear your coaches you can't hear the crowds you can't hear anything but just you know the alarm buttons going off in your body saying like you should slow down now this is definitely not sustainable um <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such a different discipline that oh, way, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like feeling your legs turning to concrete, and it's such a yeah. naked thing. Like, you you know if you're doing well, and you know if you're not. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you went on to win, or yeah, you won the silver medal and yep. with the time trial again. Yep. I, yep. Awesome. I, I was sicker than the dog. I got quarantined. I got put up onto the 14th floor all by myself, and it was such a different experience than London um going into the time trial I was going against my teammate who was the reigning world champ I mean how cool is that um as great as that is I definitely wanted to beat her um I think any competitor wants to do that and but I'd been so sick oh my gosh um I I had no expectations for that race uh they the team didn't think I would do well they they pulled my follow car and they just kind of was like you know just Go, go ride your race and good luck to you. Don't get anyone else sick, right? Um, yeah, like it's, it's such a, goes from being a team event to really being you're on your own, um, which makes sense. I don't want to get anybody else sick. Um, so I, I rode the first, it was a two lap course. The first lap, I rode it pretty conservatively. Um, and as I came through on the second lap, it's like, well, I haven't died yet. I can still breathe a little bit. Let's just give her heck. Um, and so I gave everything I could and I had the fastest second lap of the day and I came away with and absolutely thrilled and my teammate won. So I still got to hear our nation's anthem standing on the steps, got to see her succeed. And I, I definitely feel like that win for me. Good for you, Meg. Good for you. Wow. And then, and then after, after Rio's kind of when you decided you were going to kind of ship gears, so to speak. Is that right? That's true. Yeah. Um, I think Tyler or anyone who's like raced or done anything, anything at a high level, it, it, you do that to the exclusion of a lot of other things. Sure. Um, and while it's a privilege that I, I still can't believe I got to, you know, got to be part of my life was racing for the U S team. Um, I needed to change. Um, it's even racing at that high level. Uh, it never paid the bills and that's okay. And I was again, not doing it for that reason, 
but the algebra life was catching up to me. And so I needed to um, do a little bit more working. Um, additionally, uh, I needed to get my, my head straight um, after my divorce and kind of redevelop my relationship with the bike. I mean, also, I had this really cool degree. I, by that time, I, um, I had my doctorate in physical therapy. I was practicing part-time as a physical therapist and felt the joy of that. And so I needed to focus less on the um, international bike racing scene and more on my own personal life and my, my, um, you know, my profession off the bike. And it, it's just been a huge, I love being a physical therapist. It's great. Um, so, so what is your time on the bike like now? Like, what do you, do you, do you set some objectives still every year? Like is the competitor in you still there? You're looking for, for events to take on. Like, it looks like you did Rebecca's private Idaho. Was that last year? Past two years. Um, Dirty Kansas this year. Last year. Um, yeah. So I kind of, hung up my shoes a little bit, um, did some local racing, uh, just because I love the community here. And, um, and then some opportunities came up to ride gravel and gravel has, is the fastest growing segment in cycling today. Oh yeah. It's. We, we've talking about gravel. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You kind of broke up a bit. Could you say that again, please? Yeah, I was just saying there was a lot of talking about, about gravel rock. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's where it's at now. Um, road riding is still an awesome and pure and gorgeous, and track riding is fantastic. Mountain biking is a hoot. Fat biking is just the best way to spend time outside in the winter. Not the best, but it's pretty fun. Um, and, but you can kind of combine a lot of those features on gravel in the summertime, right? And uh, so I've had some opportunities to, there's some doors have opened to do more of that uh, goreware. Uh, makers might have heard of Gore-Tex. Well, goreware makes just a whole myriad of um, clothing products for people to go out and enjoy themselves out in the elements, whether it be hot, dry, rainy, humid, cold. Um, so they focus for like endurance sports like cross-country skiing running and cycling and they saw um this gravel cycling community develop and they saw um they saw me and, and saw that people might see themselves reflected in my journey and i've just been absolutely thrilled to partner with them to demonstrate the the capacity of the human body and spirit you know once they're given the tools to do so awesome that's amazing so what is what is twenty twenty hold in store for you? What are you what are you oh, yeah. eyeing up? So, what have you um, already signed up to I'm do? I'm gonna be teaming up with Salsa Cycles this next year. And they're huge in the gravel scene. So I'll be at some other larger gravel events. Um let's see, Land Run, Dirty Kanza. Um hoping to make it to Belgian Waffle Ride. Um let's see, where else will I be? Which well, which distance of Dirty Kansas are you going to do? Not DKXL, because that, that yeah. is a whole other animal. Yeah. It is. It is. Impressive. But the 200, like, that's a, that's a beast. Oh, fully. It's, it's, I had no hardcore, idea. Like, coming from Montana, you know, you're in Montana. Like, we must be tough out here. We've got hills. We know. No, man. Who knew Kansas has so many hills? Um, I did the um, Gravel World Championships last year in Lincoln, Nebraska. And again, I, I totally underestimated the Midwest. That place was an un, there was no flat ground anywhere on that course. I don't think there's anywhere flat in, in Nebraska. I'm pretty sure. It's just like rolling hills of cornfields and soybeans. It was absolutely brutal. Right. Yeah. Because like, that's what people underestimate, right? They think, well, it's not mountainous terrain. So it's, it's not a big deal. But those those little hills, if they keep coming at you and coming at oh, you and coming at and, you, and, they and, add and up. the heat um, in Dirty Kanza this past year, like it took me a bit longer um, because I had the opportunity to uh, help take care of some of my fellow riders who were struggling with the heat. Um, my background is an athletic trainer. I also have my EMT, and as a physical therapist, kind of, I think you know I, I have some compassion for the the human condition and so 
seeing people struggling. I, I help people um, find help, get water or ice or um, determine when they needed to call it in. And in the middle of the night, um, about a mile or two from the end, uh, I came across a cyclist who'd uh, in the dark, not seen a pothole and endoed, cracked his helmet, separated his shoulder. And his riding companion actually left and uh, he refused to call his support team to come pick him up. He wanted to finish. And so uh, having some education in concussion and traumatic brain injury and the correct treatment, like I knew I wasn't in the position to provide care. Like I, I mean, I was pretty wrecked from the day, but I knew that I couldn't let him get on his bike. So I walked him in. I took his helmet and I walked him in. Oh, that was a long, that was a long day, but it's like, it's crazy. You know, I, I was happy until maybe the last two hours. Then I was ready to be done. I was pretty tired, (laughs) but yeah, I I can't wait to go back. And you want to do it again. Good for you. Yeah. I'll try that. I'll be at Rebecca's private Idaho. Um, I I did a gravel camp with the cyclists menu and I hope I can, um, get back with them. They have just an, an amazing um, setup in Patagonia, Arizona. Just it's, it's a cheesy saying, but champagne gravel, you know, that idea of just it's like the perfect place for gravel. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be Meg, all doing steam, uh, steamboat, or sorry, lead boat, which is Leadville and um, steamboat gravel. So it's a weekend of a Saturday Leadville 100 mountain bike race followed by Sunday steamboat 144 miles of gravel. Yeah, I've seen that because I follow the the race series on yep. on Facebook. Is that is that yeah, new? That exactly. Yeah, they used to be different weekends. Like, um, yeah, Leadville last year was its own entity on its own, and then Steamboat Gravel was the same day as Gravel World Championship. So I wasn't able to do both. Um, I was supposed to be at Leadville last year. I was at Leadville until United lost my bike. Oh. And, and it was oh, brutal, no. man. It was the saddest thing. I mean, I'd built travel days into my schedule because, you know, you you just want to make sure your, your stuff gets there. But then my flights got canceled, and then I got on my flight, and they just didn't think that I might need my bike. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get it to you. And I was like, okay, you promise? Like, yeah, we promise. I mean, they promised hardcore and then they brought it like at noon on race day and the race starts like six o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh. that was brutal. Yeah. That's pretty crushing. Cause it's such a, it's such a marquee event and you probably did some specific training for oh, it. And yeah. stuff I mean, too, right? You buy a ticket, you buy like your hostel, you pay for your entry. I mean, you take time off of work, you know, do, I, I'm just a typical athlete these days. I mean, I, I'm fortunate to have some sponsorships and I'm, uh, P.S. Looking for more, but um, uh, so yeah, it was pretty gutted. I was re- I was pretty gutted. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I- I've certainly had other tragedies that are worse, but um, we all have. It's just a bike race, but just uh, yeah, it was. Oh, but in the yeah. moment, that's yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. Hard. It's gonna you're gonna get them in 2020 for sure. I, I hope so. I mean, oh, uh, heck yeah, heck yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, um, so Meg, you're also, you know, besides PT and cycling, you also do some, uh, some speaking, right? I do. Um, Can you I, talk about that? At every opportunity, I'm very eager to share my story and try to share it in such a way that somebody can, else can take something from it. Um, I've been very fortunate to give various opportunities to speak and I, I've developed this message for myself or my own mantra, which is the greatest good. Like, how can I do the greatest good for other people? How many lives can I touch? Is that through mm-hmm. my work as a physical therapist or is that through public speaking or motivational athletics? Because I, I have so many people who come up to me and see elements of themselves in me because I wear my, my scars so visibly. Um, and so many of us carry our, our, our scars invisibly, right? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I try to share people and help them understand that they are capable of more than they know. You know, finding that out is often uncomfortable, whether it's individual time trial or not getting your homework in on time or having some stress at work. 
but um, we're all capable of more than we know. Well put. Yeah, more goosebumps. So if people, if people want to reach out to you about public speaking or just follow along with your adventures or maybe reach out and inquire about some additional sponsorship, where can they, where can they reach you? Where can they follow you on social media? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, So I have a website, gomegfisher.com. Awesome pictures, great stories, good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Um, My email is gomegfisher at gmail.com. And uh, Fisher just says like a fish, F-I-S-H-E-R, no C. And then um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm pretty prolific there. And that's just Meg Fisher on Instagram. Fantastic. Meg, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate the story and uh, well, we hope to do it again soon. It was an absolute pleasure oh, it's having a privilege. you on. Thank you so much for including me. Yeah, Meg, you're such an inspiration such an inspiration and you're you're you've changed so many lives and, and you're gonna continue to do that so keep right. up the uh, awesome work and it's nice it's really nice to know you and call you a friend likewise right back at you you've 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 changed my life for sure tyler thank you thanks man hey thanks for coming on awesome talking to you guys y'all right on yeah all the best bye thanks Meg. Bye. take bye. care As we say at the beginning or the conclusion of every episode, and sometimes both, thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. And as our listenership grows, it's just becoming more and more fun and exciting for us. As always, if you enjoy the show, please uh, either subscribe or give us a rating or both on whatever podcast platform that you're listening and how you found us. Follow us along on social media so that you're up to date on new episodes and ideas at Adventure Audio Podcast. That's us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Any questions, comments, suggestions, adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, and we'll be back to you with another episode soon.